Well, it's good to see everybody. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. It's Christmas season, so we're taking a few weeks to look at the Christmas story, as you do at this time of year. And today we're going to look at one of the the, the quintessential uh, Christmas passages from Matthew's gospel. And what Matthew tells us is that there was a baby born about 2,000 years ago that is both like us and unlike us. He is like us in that he is human like us, but he is unlike us in that he is God. He's he's God come down to us. And that's, of course, what Christmas is all about. And so today I want us to consider what that means. I want to behold Jesus together. I want to just consider his might, his glory, his humility, his love, his presence, and his peace. So let's read the passage together now. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word. You know, one of the things about Christmas sermons Christmas passages is that we get kind of used to the Christmas story, don't we? We do this every year. And Christmas is not only something we do here every year, it's something that our culture does every year. It's it's by far the most celebrated holiday culturally, at least where we live. Even the most secular places will play songs like Hark the Herald Angels Sing over the radio. It's really amazing, but with all that familiarity, it's, I think it's hard for us to, to, to forget the razor's edge of Christmas. It can become dull to us. The story just kind of slips into the rest of the season's sentimentality, and I think that's a tragedy. We need Christmas. We need this story. We need this truth, and we need to be sure that we don't miss it. Christmas is the answer 
to all of our deepest problems, to all of our most wicked sins, to all of our most profound longings. We need Christmas because we are not who we should be and we don't know how to get where we need to be. We need Christmas because if if we're completely honest with ourselves, we need a hope from beyond, don't we? We need someone to save us from what we've done and from who we've become. And Christmas is the answer to that deep problem. All of history pivots at the birth of Jesus, from anticipating a Savior to accepting the Savior. It changes everything. It preaches good news to sinners and sufferers. As Tim Keller once said, to understand Christmas is to understand basic Christianity. It's to understand the gospel. Isn't that amazing? And how we need the gospel. So Christmas comes to us each year as a, as a fresh pronouncement of the Savior's birth, of the Savior's mission, of the Savior's love, of the, of the Savior's saving. Christmas is heaven's cry that though we are profoundly sinful and profoundly undeserving, God has not abandoned us. He has come to be with us. You know, the gospel is, in a way, it's a paradox. The holy God cannot abide with sinners, but in Christ, He does. And it's not by giving up his holiness, but by giving us his holiness. Jesus, being born like us, became the perfect us through his perfect life. And in his substitutionary death and his glorious resurrection, he both paid for all of our sins and gave us all of his righteousness. In Christ, because of what he's done and who he is, the holy God is now with us. You might feel far from God, but Christmas says you couldn't be closer. Not if you'll accept his Savior. That's the amazing story of Christmas. When this, when this world, by its sin, declared war on God, what did God do? The Lord of armies. That's what the Bible calls God. The Lord of armies. The all-powerful, almighty God. He could do anything. He could wipe us out. Instead, he sent a baby. He sent a son to live and die and rise again, to usher in a kingdom that cannot fail and that cannot fade. A kingdom where tomorrow is always better than today. And the future consists of an increase of glory and hope and joy because Jesus, our Savior, has redeemed us. He's fixing what's broken in us. What's broken in this world. So let's just look at this Savior. 
Because he's, you know, Jesus is more than we bargain for. He's all that we need. He's God. And he's man. And he's Emmanuel. God with me. So I want to consider each of those truths tonight. Starting with Jesus is God. <clears throat> you see, Matthew, he, he tells us plainly who Jesus is. He gets right to the point. Jesus is God. Look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. We hear the same again when the angel told Joseph in verse 20, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the weight of those words, is, is, it's magnificent. From the Holy Spirit. Birth is always miraculous. But this was truly unique. Matthew is saying that the baby in Mary's womb has no earthly father's DNA. This child came from the heavenly father, from the Holy Spirit, from God himself. In no uncertain terms, Matthew is saying that Jesus, this baby to be born, is God. Now, that, that, that statement has always been controversial, no less in our day than in any other but, you know, this isn't a one-off appearance here in the New Testament. Go to any New Testament writer, and, and you'll find them all talking about the, the divinity of Jesus. They all treat him and worship him and follow him as God. The divinity of Jesus is a basic tenet of biblical Christianity. The Bible tells us of this triune God, this, this one God in three persons, and Jesus, the second person of that trinity, has come down into our world. This is why Christmas demands as much as it comforts. It demands that we treat Jesus as who he really is, as God himself. Not easy for us. You know, we laugh at Ricky Bobby and Talladega Nights sitting around the dinner table praying to baby Jesus because he likes the Christmas Jesus best. <laughs> but the Christmas Jesus isn't a sweet little harmless baby. The Bible says he's the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's the one who came to conquer sin and death and Satan. He's the mighty God. Christmas is not just a nice holiday that gives families and friends time to give gifts and be kind and eat good food and to take a day off of work. Christmas is a declaration. It's a line in the sand. It's a proclamation that God is here and his name is Jesus. And you can have him if you want him. But you have to take him whole. You have to take him as he is. You have to take him as God. You can't have him only as a teacher. 
You can't have him only as a, as a good moral example. You, can't, you can only have him. You can only have him as God and Lord because that's who he is. And there's no way around it. Now, I also want to point out that this, what we're talking about, when Joseph heard this, this it wasn't as if it was easy to, for him to just accept. And Joseph was a Jew. Jews didn't exactly have a category for God coming down to his people like this. You know, if, if Joseph were a, a Greek or a Roman, I, I, he probably would have accepted it easier. I mean, their, their religions included gods who often would disguise themselves as humans and, and come on down. But Jews didn't have a category for that kind of thing. God was personal, but, but he was infinite. He was transcendent. He was the creator of all, the sustainer of all, above everything and over everything. The glory and majesty of God were, were so fearful that, that Jews wouldn't even say his name because it was deemed so holy. And yet here's an angel telling Joseph in a dream that this transcendent, all-holy God is coming down to earth in the form of a human baby. Again, I think we get used to that idea. But that's massive. It's in a way, it's it's an intellectual problem. How can God do that? How can humanity hold divinity in that? To get an idea of the magnitude of this, we really have to think about all that Scripture says about God. Ray Ortland put it this way, and I, I love this. Think of the names of God in the Bible. Yahweh, the one who is near. The Almighty, the Most High, Master, the Everlasting God, the Jealous God, the Lord will provide, the Lord of armies, the Lord who heals you, the Lord our righteousness. Then think of the images of God in the Bible. He's a king, a shepherd, a warrior, a rock, a refuge, a shield, father, maker, judge, lawgiver, comforter, savior, lion, and lamb, and many more. Think of the attributes of God in the Bible. Living, powerful, shrewd, just, merciful, pure, honest, faithful, joyful, patient, rich, sovereign, kind, loving. And really, that's just for starters, isn't it? Christmas tells us that that glorious God, that one, came down to us in Jesus. And you know, maybe it, it, it's, it's difficult to accept Jesus as God. It, it, maybe it's easier to think of him as, as some semi-God, something like God, but less than God. I mean, could glory like that inhabit flesh like ours? But if we are to accept the Bible as it is, if we are to swallow it whole, as it were, we 
must accept that Jesus is God. If we can't accept Jesus' divinity, it just means that whatever Jesus we have in our mind is simply it's just too small. He's not the one you need. You need the real Jesus. So let me say it one more time. Christmas is about the God of glory coming down from heaven to save his people from their sin. The Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty has come down. In Jesus, God came into the world. And Joseph was to be his father. Now, of course, Joseph wasn't to be his father in the traditional sense. There's something interesting here. There's a, a reversal of sorts. Notice Joseph didn't choose to be the father of the incarnate God. He was told that he would serve that. Making him the, the adoptive father. Joseph didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose Joseph. Isn't that amazing? Fascinating to me. The child adopted the father. That's amazing. Jesus is the only baby in history that chose his family. And the one he chose, go read the biblical narrative. Would you choose that family? Sam Albury once said that Jesus, that the family Jesus came from shows us the kind of family he comes for. Sinners. All of them. Bad ones. Unworthy. Every one of them. No exceptions. Undeserving. Each and all. Without question. You know, you got to think, why, why did God choose that family? Why did God choose Joseph? I mean, there were kings in that day. There were great and mighty people. But of all men at that time, why him? Why Joseph? I mean, he, he didn't seem particularly important. We don't even hear very much else from him in the, in the New Testament after Jesus is born. To understand why he was cho chosen, we have to go back to the Old Testament. A long time ago, when David was king of Israel, in 2 Samuel... Chapter 7, one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible. God promised David that one of his sons would rule on the throne forever. And years and years later, an angel came to Joseph. And look at verse 20. Referred to him as who? Son of David. Joseph had the lineage that God promised would rule. And God's promise was now coming true. 
More was at stake with Joseph accepting God's call than just another child born into the world. This child was the everlasting ruler promised long ago, coming to reign as was prophesied. God was fulfilling his promise. You know, every baby kind of turns your world upside down. If you're a parent, you know that. I did it four times. The four times my world was turned upside down. But can you imagine Joseph? It turned his world upside down. But you know, it turned the whole world. Not just Joseph. Because Christmas wasn't just for Joseph and Mary. It was for all of God's people. It's good news of great joy for all the people. It's the story of the baby born in a manger who is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. The one for whom there was no room in the inn made room in heaven for sinners. The child who was born like us to give us a new birth so that we we may be like him one day. This boy in the barn was somehow the glory of heaven. We have been, we've been visited not by a vision of God, not by some apparition of God, not even by merely a messenger of God, but by God himself. And that's the great hope in which we live. God has come. He stepped into our mess, into our lives, into our experience, into our hopelessness into his promises, and he brought life and hope and everything else. He came to us to bring us to himself. And he didn't do that from heaven. He did it from the ground. Jesus is God. And Christmas tells us that. But it also tells us more. Jesus is also man. In verse 21, the angel told Joseph that Mary would bear a son. Now, sons are born every day. But that day was special. The glorious God became a humble man. And again, we might be so used to that that it's kind of lost its edge. So let's listen to a couple of men who thought this through. Who can help clarify this, re-enlighten this for us. C.S. Lewis always says it so well. He tried to help us grasp the humility of Jesus in this moment. The eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that a baby. And before that a fetus inside a woman's body. If you want to get the hang of it, think how you would like to become a slug or a crab. J.I. Packer put it this way. He said, God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The babyhood, now love this, the babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. 
Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is the truth of the incarnation. Jesus is God, but Jesus is also man. Just as Jesus is not something like but less than God, he's not something like but less than man. He's fully man, even as he is fully God. He is, in his humanity, profoundly and completely one of us. The author of Hebrews put it this way, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Not similar things, the same things. Jesus was born just like you were. He grew up just like you did. His body changed and developed and matured just like yours did. He had to learn how to walk, how to talk, how to do things for himself. He lived a human life just like you live right now. He ate food. He drank water. This is obvious stuff, but sometimes we forget it. He laughed. He cried. He felt the, the cool breeze on a warm summer day. He felt the chill of night in the winter. He knew how good it felt to sit down and take your shoes off at the end of a long, hard day's work. He felt the comfort of friendship. He experienced the, the joy of life at weddings and at parties. And he also experienced the pain of life. He got splinters in his hands. He lost friends to illness and death. He knew betrayal. He knew what it was like to have those closest to him not trust him. He bled. He died. He went through it all. The only difference between your human life and his human life is that he never sinned. That's a big difference. everything else is the same. But he did never sin. And if that difference weren't there, we wouldn't be here talking about him at all. What's the point? He's just another man. But there is that difference. The sinlessness of the man, Jesus Christ, is the hinge upon which the door of Christmas opens and stays open for us. It's the only way that we could be saved. Jesus becoming man to become the perfect man, to save sinful man, was the whole point of Christmas. Christmas is God's great rescue plan. It's his great story. And as it always is with God, the deeper we go, the bigger the truth gets. One of the things I love about studying the Bible, about thinking about God, you can never get to the end. The deeper we go, the bigger it gets. The comfort of Christmas is like that. It grows the more you consider it. Jesus is God. Jesus is also man. He's fully both. 
that means that God has now been on the inside of man. He knows this life that we live. He understands you. He's been in your shoes. There's nothing that you face that God doesn't know from the inside. There's nothing you face that God hasn't already conquered for you. There's nothing you face that can keep him. We know this not only because of the story, but also because of the name of him, of this child born in Bethlehem. Look at verse 21. And you shall call his name Jesus. Now, I have four kids, and I think they have wonderful names. I named them. Of course, I think they're wonderful, but their names don't really mean anything. And if they do, I don't really know what it is. They're kind of just labels. They're nice labels, but they're labels. You're more than a label, sons, I promise. Just illustration here. But it's not that way with Jesus. His name isn't just a label. It's a message. The name Jesus means Savior, or God is salvation. That's why in the phrase immediately after, the angel adds an explanatory note, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So here's what this means. Every time we just say the name Jesus, we're proclaiming the gospel message. When we say the name Jesus, we are saying God is salvation. Jesus' name meant that he had a mission, and he had to live up to that name. He was to save his people. But what was he to save them from? From their oppressors? I mean, God's people has had many throughout their history. Jesus saved them from their suffering, and there's plenty of that in the world. Maybe he would save them from disease or accidents or storms or disasters. But it really wasn't any of those things. He was to save them, look at verse 21 again, from their sins. Here's one thing that means. Our greatest enemy is not anything outside of us. It's who we are. It's the sin that we're born with. It's the sin that we act out and that we think with. The most tragic thing about us is is not what happens to us, but what happens in us. That doesn't mean that terrible things don't happen to us. They do. But it does mean that we, too, are guilty of our own sin. As much as we may need salvation from others, we need salvation from ourselves, from our sin. So Jesus came on a mission with a purpose to save us from that. To save us from ourselves. But, you know, why did God have to, why do you have to go such lengths? Why do you have to become man to do that? I mean, he's God. Couldn't he save us without leaving heaven? 
Well, in Hebrews 9, verse 22, the author tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. God has ordered it in such a way that it requires the shedding of blood. In the Old Testament, we see this. We see God instituting the sacrificial system in Israel. It it gave them a pathway to forgiveness of sins by sacrificing bulls, goats, other animals. But in Hebrews 10, the author says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So what's the deal? God gives that. Did he give a sacrificial system that wasn't enough? Yeah. In a way. The the truth of the sacrificial system remains. Only blood atones. But not the blood of animals. It pointed to what was to come in Christ. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Our sin deserves the death penalty. I don't think we think about it that way. Have you ever used the term evil for yourself? Probably not. But our sin deserves the death penalty. But God in his mercy provided a way of forgiveness in the sacrificial system. But until Jesus came, it was only temporary. The blood of animals could never satisfy the penalty of our sins. Man's sin requires man's blood. So as Paul says in Romans 3.25, God put forth Christ as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Jesus came to offer his blood, his human blood, for us. After living the perfect life that we could never live, he died the guilty death that he never deserved. On the cross, Jesus cried out, what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, of course, he knew the answer. He's quoting from Psalm 22. But that answer begins at Christmas. Jesus came to be the one on whom our sins were laid as a propitiatory sacrifice to take the judgment of God against us and to set us free in him. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so here's what that means for us tonight. If you are in Christ, you You are forgiven. You are justified. You are being sanctified. You are, the way Paul says it, already glorified. And one day we're going to step into that. You owe God nothing. Not a thing. And you have in God everything. Everything. That's the story of Christmas. That's the great gift. And you know, it's, if we just stopped right there, that sounds like enough. To be forgiven. To be set free. 
But there's actually more. There's more to Christmas. There's more to this gift. It's, it's kind of like Mary Poppins' bag. I mean, how can it all fit in there? Jesus came not only to pay for our sins, but to welcome us into his arms. He came not just to fix our problems, but to give us peace. He came not just to save us, but to redeem us, to actively work to make things come out good for us. He came not just to deal with us, but to be with us. And that's our third and final point. Jesus is God with man. Emmanuel. Look at verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So if Jesus is his name, which means God is salvation, Emmanuel is like his nature. He, he saves us, and he stays with us. Here, here's why this matters so much. Here, here's why it's, it's so important to go with the gospel as far as the gospel takes us. To not stop too short. I think most of us probably in this room tonight have realized by now just how, life, how hard life can be. For some of us, every day is a struggle. It might be physical pain. It might be emotional pain. It might be, it might be mental pain. It might be a combination of all three. It might be any number of other things. There's so many. There's sins against us. There's sins that we have committed that harm and wound us. Our thoughts aren't even safe. We can go to really dark places really quickly, can't we? And we think, well, yeah, Jesus forgave me then. But that's then. What about now? What about tomorrow? When I face that hard thing that I know is coming, who will be with me then? Christmas says Jesus will. You know, at some point, each of us is probably going to ask the question, has God abandoned me? I mean, sometimes we suffer so profoundly that we wonder if God has forsaken us. Our, our Bedford Falls turns into Pottersville. Our childhood dreams of BB guns never arrive on Christmas morning. Our cousin Eddies are the only ones who show up, lugging all their junk along with them. Our Christmas is stolen, and there is no song around the tree in the morning because the Grinch actually knew how to strike our hope. There's no miracle on 34th Street or any other street. We're left home alone, and no one is looking for us. We strike out to find our dad only to find a cold city with a hard heart and no Christmas spirit. Life sometimes feels that way, doesn't it? 
why all those Christmas movies have the happy ending. Because we don't want to feel that way. So what does Christmas say to those feelings? It says this, and it says it as loud as possible. God is with us. Now that doesn't mean life is easy. It doesn't mean that we don't have to live through Pottersville. It doesn't mean that our hopes aren't sometimes disappointed. It doesn't mean others don't cause us problems. It doesn't mean that what is precious to us isn't stolen away. But it does mean, it does mean that you aren't alone. Your life is not limited to what this world can give. It's not limited to what you can achieve. It's not limited to what you can get through your hard work and your sacrifice. It's not limited to your own luck. Your life is is defined by a miracle. God is with you. It's just so easy for us to believe that God is against us. I mean, he has every reason to be, doesn't he? Our sins are many. Our failures just just pile up. Our weaknesses shine brighter than our strengths. But Christmas says God is not against us. Not anymore. Not because of Christ. I just want that to settle in your heart today. I want you to deeply believe it. To accept it. Jesus entered this very real world that you and I live in right now. He came into this darkness. He came into this situation. He came into this difficulty. He came in to this life of suffering. He came into this judgy world with its constant demands, its never-ending criticisms, its unwavering conflict. And though he died, he rose again, and he has ascended to the Father, and he has sent his Spirit, and he's still with us today. He's here right now. And he was there yesterday, even if you didn't feel it. And he'll be there tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And maybe the best news of all in this is it doesn't depend on us one bit. Jesus isn't with you because you deserve him. He's with you because of his grace. And God is so with you that there is not a single second that he turns away from you. He never gets weary of you. He hears your cries. He knows your needs. He sees your sins. And instead of turning away, he comes He is your ally when you feel abandoned and alone. He's your defender when you are guilty. He's your justifier when you have no more excuses. He is your surety when there is only uncertainty. He is the anchor of your soul when your life hangs in the balance. And he is the one you can turn to when life feels so sweet you just want to thank someone. He's personally involved with you. 
Jesus is more than just what he did for you. He's a very real presence with you. Jesus came to be your Savior and your friend. Receive that gift. Enjoy it. It's yours in Him. All you need to have Jesus is need. Your sin and your weakness that you believe disqualify you actually qualify you for His grace. Jesus came to the lowly for the lowly. He's not just with the cool kids. Look at the family he came from. It shows us the the family he came for. He's with all who are weary and need rest. All who mourn and long for comfort. All who feel anxious and yearn for peace. All who fail and desire strength. And all who sin and need a savior. He is Emmanuel. God with us. In Christ, whatever you've made of your life, in Christ, you can have your life back. Because in Christ, Pottersville is fading away. And Bedford Falls is being restored day by day. So let's just take it back. Let's receive him and enjoy him forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, for the gift of your presence, for the gift of who you are for us, who you are with us. And I pray, Lord, that that would settle deep in our hearts, that the razor's edge of Christmas would cut us deep with your grace. That we would behold you in your glory and that we would rejoice in you and have hope and peace. We pray this in Jesus' name.